in the pulpit again this morning and share from God's Word. Uh, I was trying to really come up with a title. You know, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and I really was stretching to find something in the Bible that I could relate to Super Bowl, and unfortunately I couldn't. But, but the statement and title that I'm going to talk about today is really a super statement. All right. The sermon title this morning is One Thing We Can Be Sure Of. One Thing We Can Be Sure Of. If you recall two weeks ago, I talked about the one thing that matters, and that's to be in the presence of the Lord and enjoy the beauty of the Lord. This week, we're going to learn about one thing we can be sure of. Our text is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, and listen here, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful word and promise that Paul gave and penned to this church in Philippi. I pray, Lord, that you would make this word and promise real to us today. I pray that you would speak through me by your Holy Spirit and that you would open eyes to see by your Holy Spirit this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I have three points. I'll get those out front. First, we're going to look at Paul's greeting and thanksgiving, which is in verses one through five. Then we're going to look at Paul's proclamation, which is in verses six through eight. And then we're going to look at Paul's prayer in verses 9 through 10. Can we be sure of anything? Well, philosophers wrestle with this question, and they would say no, because you can't have all knowledge. Uh, Mathematicians and engineers say we can be sure of some things. It reminds me of a story. There was a guy was hiring for a job, and he had two candidates. He had a engineer and an economist. And so he invites the engineer in first. The employer sits him down and says, what is two plus two? The, math, or the engineer is kind of startled, like, why? It's four. He said, thank you. And he left the room, confused. The other guy comes in, the economist. He sits down. He asks him, what is two plus two? The economist looks around, pulls the shades down, whispers in his ear and says, whatever you want it to be. (laughs) I remember my first calculus class in college, the professor talking a book, How to Lie with Statistics. And believe me, there are a lot of economists that are able to do that. 
But can we be sure of anything? Even two plus two is four. Well, the Apostle Paul says yes, and we're going to look at that this morning. The first is greeting in Thanksgiving, verses one through five. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So we know Paul is writing from prison. Timothy is probably with him, ministering to him. Timothy was with Paul when the church was founded in Philippi, as well as Silas and Luke, who records the church in Philippi in his book of Acts. Notice he calls them saints in Christ Jesus, holy ones. Saints means holy ones, set apart by the work of the gospel, but they're in Christ Jesus. The phrase in Christ occurs 10 times in the book of Philippians. We are in union with Christ, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. He also acknowledges, you know, the overseers, uh, the elders that have been the elders and the deacons of the church. And he gives the two words of grace and peace that kind of give a concise expression of the effect of Christ's saving work that appear in all of Paul's salutations at his, of his books. The common source of grace and peace is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has a deep, affectionate memory of the Philippians, one that causes him to pray for them often. He says, in every prayer of mine for you all. It must have been from the south, right? Y'all, he's praying for y'all twice, if you notice that. He prays with joy in his prayer, which is a dominant theme, the theme of joy in this book, 11 times. He acknowledges that they continue to partner with him in the gospel while he is in prison. They are partnering with Paul through their giving, through their prayers for him, and through their evangelism. It's not just Paul that's doing the evangelism now because he's in prison. But those in Philippi are partnering alongside him. You know, we are all called to be evangelists, to share the gospel with our neighbor, with those around us. Not just the teachers and preachers and evangelists, although God's gifted them. We are all called to share the gospel and to pray for others. So he remembers the first day, notice in verse 5, he remembers the first day with those saints. Let me uh, give you an account of that first day. I love the story. I've probably uh, preached it once before when I was in Philippians, but Paul was planning to go on a second journey, missionary journey into Asia, which would be modern day Turkey. He was wanting to go up north and uh, east, but he was forbidden, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. It says a vision appeared to Paul by, in the night and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen this vision, he immediately concluded that God had called him to preach there. This was his first trip to Europe. Macedonia was in Europe, kind of in the Greek, where Greece is today. And the first convert of Europe was a woman by the name of Lydia. And you can read that. She, it says she was a worshiper of God and a seller of purple goods. She was part of a Gentile prayer group that met by the river. And had a knowledge of Old Testament scriptures. You see, if you followed Paul in Acts, normally he'd go into a town. He'd go into the synagogue first and preach there. Well, there was no synagogue there in uh, 
Philippi. So he found these ladies. He goes down and starts talking to them. And Luke records, says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Always remember that. The Lord has to open our hearts to the gospel. You may be sharing with a neighbor and a friend and it it seems stone cold. You only responsible, you and I are only responsible for sharing the truth of the gospel. The Lord has to open their hearts. The second likely convert Luke highlights is a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, it says. And she brought her owners much gain by telling fortunes. And Paul delivered her from that demon and caused a great ruckus in the city. And they put him and Silas in jail for it. The owners had lost money, a lot of money, because this girl was making money for them. So the third converts are most likely the jailer and his family. You remember the story, Paul and Silas are imprisoned on false charges. They're thrown into the inner prison with their feet in stocks. And what do they have that night? A praise and worship service in jail. And it says about midnight, suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. The doors were open and everybody's bonds were set free. The jailer comes running to him and says what? What must I do to be saved? Isn't that what we all want to hear? Wouldn't you love it? Someone come up to you and said, Rick, what, what must I do to be a saved, to become a Christian? It's a great feeling. Well, what did he say to him? Paul gives those simple, beautiful words of the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. How simple is that? People say, oh, I can't evangelize, too, too tough. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So these are the converts probably Paul's talking about when he's writing because in his passage in chapter 1, he says, until now. Paul loved this church. They were near and dear to his heart. And they were financially supporting him, praying for him. And this letter, when he writes Philippians, is probably 10 years, roughly 10 years, scholars believe, since when he first founded that church. All right, let's go to the second point. Paul's proclamation, his super, there we go, super proclamation, which by the way, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I had to preach on it because I haven't preached on it yet. But Paul makes a stunning, bold claim to them. He says, I am sure of this. Okay, what are you sure of, Paul? I am sure of this, that he, who's he, God, began a good work in you, will what? Bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is sure, certain, confident of this. Another way to say it is God will finish what he started. Paul was assuring the Philippians that the long-term fellowship of the gospel that God had begun in them 10 years earlier would be brought to a glorious end at the day of Christ. Why do you suppose Paul had to say that? Why Why do we need to hear this? Well, people struggle with their faith. People struggle with their salvation. Am I truly saved? Did I do enough? Lord, I'm struggling with my progress. I'm not as spiritual as so-and-so. Look at their family. They're like the spiritual family. Maybe, maybe I'm not a believer, right? 
or people trying to add, you have to do A, B, C, and D to be saved. Well, Paul in chapter 3 of Philippians tells them to look out for the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. For there were some in that church that were trying to add requirements to the law, saying, okay, guys, yeah, you believed in Jesus Christ, but you need to be circumcised as well. You need to do these laws, and then you'll be into the club. And he's saying, no, no, their salvation that they received from Christ is a work of God, started by God, and will be finished by God. Their acts, and our acts, by the way, will not add anything of it. If you're struggling with it now or sometimes say, am I truly saved? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? That's all you need. Believe, trust in Christ. It's not like, well, I believe, but I haven't done enough. Well, we'll get to that because there is works involved. Paul's not saying in his book there's no works, but the simple gospel message is what we're called to believe. So the one thing we can be sure of is that God will complete his work of salvation in us. The promise is explicit and as straightforward as it can get. God initiates or inaugurates the good work and the he is he, the God of the universe. It is the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that we receive when we believe Jesus. Jesus talked about this in his work, and we see it in John's gospel when he said, this is the work of God. Okay, here we go. This is like equation. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. There's the work. Paul talks about the work. He started a work. Jesus says what the work is. The work is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember that first time you believed? I remember. I was 11 years old. I went to a church camp, you know, and I remember someone giving the gospel message, and I recognized I was a sinner and needed a Savior. And I went up front, you know, back in the day, I was altar calls all the time, went up front, gave my heart to Christ. He changed me that day, and I went and got baptized. Those days are precious. Now, everybody's different in here. You may not be able to pinpoint the day. Some of you are children or were raised in the church like my children, and they may not be able to pinpoint a day, but they know there's a work of Christ that's been done in their hearts. All right? We believe in something concrete. Christ died for us. Paul said it. We said it, in the, by the way, in the creed today that was in my sermon. Paul says in Corinthians, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That is what we believe. That is the gospel. This work is a result of our union with Christ. Let me say, I'll take a moment about the union with Christ. Union with Christ is one of the central doctrines of the Christian faith. By union with Christ, I mean God confers on the elect, his children, all the saving benefits that Christ merited by his life, death, and resurrection. Union with Christ occurs in the application of our redemption. When we become born again, we become in union with Christ. Think about it. In today's 11 verses that we just read, Christ Jesus is explicitly named seven times. 
servants of Christ Jesus, saints in Christ Jesus, grace and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of Jesus Christ, affection of Christ Jesus, the day of Christ, fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. You think Paul's trying to get something through here? It's all about Jesus. God the Father starts the process He starts it. We see this in Ephesians 1, by the way, one of my other favorite verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even, listen to this, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Christ and God started this work before the foundation of the world. Whatever day you got saved, I got saved in 1972 before the foundation of the world. God had planned that. He, the Father, causes us to be born again. Think about this. It is the will of God that is the ground or the basis of our salvation. So the basis of your salvation is the will of God. One one commentator said, Salvation would be a miserably unsure thing had it no other foundation than I chose Christ. If that was a foundation, you know, I'll walk away. But he founded it. He will not leave us as unfinished business. He's, it's a work in progress. He began it, and he's going to complete it. He will not leave us unfinished. Have you ever seen a building that was started but never finished? Got any old buildings like in your old hometown that they started to raise and ran out of money? Not a very pleasant sight, is it? God does not leave us like that. The Bible in the Old Testament says he's the potter, we're the clay. And he's working on us until the day he returns. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is building his church. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 25 says... God is building his universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ the head. It's another way of saying the psalmist, unless the Lord builds his house, they labor in vain. God built that church in Philippi with Lydia and the girl that was demon-possessed and the jailer, right? He's building this church here in Niceville. We are just as much a part of the church as they were, right? We just celebrated 100 years, this church, 100 years. Now, I don't know if we're going to be here 100 years from now. Only God knows that, right? In fact, you probably couldn't go over there to Philippi today and find the first, you know, prayers of Philippi. I don't know if it's going to be over there. In fact, a lot of the churches that Paul started are in Asia are no longer there, right? Because it's in Turkey and they're Muslim. But God continues to build his church throughout the lands and he moves as he sees fit. And we are part of that as believers in Christ. The church marches on. Leaders, like Joe, come and go. But the church marches on. That's why we don't have to be worried as we transition pastors. I love Joe, and I'm going to miss Joe. We're all going to miss Joe. But the Lord still has a work to do, right? In your life, in my life, and in his life. He's not done yet either. He'll be doing other things. It's a beautiful thing we can rest on. 
not only God starts the work, he undertakes its progress, he will finish it. He is working on a schedule. He will complete it either the day we die or when he comes again, the day of Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of that day in 1 Thessalonians, the day of Christ. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. What a promise that we can lay hold of. He who began a good work in you and me will bring it to completion until that day. But Paul recognizes that he nor them are completed yet, right? Progress is required. That is why he prays, and that is the whole reason why the prayer is there. We're not finished yet. Even though we didn't start it and aren't responsible for finishing it, we have work to do. What do you mean work, right? I thought he does everything. Not work to earn our salvation, but to do work after our salvation. Because in the next chapter, chapter 2, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I have to work out my salvation, right? You know, Joe mentioned it last week. This is this whole idea of human responsibility and divine sovereignty, right? God is working in us his will, working through us, but we still have to do work. We still have to obey him and follow him and love him. So in one sense, there is evidences of assurance in the life of a believer, one of the biggest ones should be that what? That we love one another. Jesus, you, they will know we are Christians, what? By our love. But why do we love? Because he first loved us. We call this a sanctification process. And that's why Paul is praying here. And we need to pray. We need to pray for one another, right? Let's look at the prayer real quick. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with all the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Sometimes people say, I don't know what to pray for. Well, take this verse, pray that for me. Pray that for your spouse. Pray that for your child. Pray that for your friend. And you can find prayers like this throughout the Bible that will help us to prayer. His prayer is that their love would abound more and more for each other, like the love that he has. He has a great affection and love for them. And where does this love come from? Well, Romans 5, 5, another Paul's letter says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the love that we have, that we receive, is to be given out to others. He prays that they would be a loving people, a loving church, he prays that they would grow in the knowledge of Christ, that they would grow in their discernment and their understanding of who Christ is. We, each day, should be growing more and more in the knowledge and wisdom of Christ. That is part of the process, right? That is part of, but that does not mean I need to worry that I'm not saved. He's going to get me to the end. He's going to get me to the end. He prays that they would be holy and pure. We're to be a holy people. Christians are to be holy, right? We weren't holy when he saved us. 
but we are to strive towards a life of holiness. Paul uses another beautiful analogy in the book of Ephesians, which a lot of you are familiar with, the bride of Christ, right? He says, the church is like a bride who will be presented to Jesus without spot or wrinkle. He's preparing his church without spot or wrinkle. But if we're honest, if we look inside, look at each other, we see spots and wrinkles. I'm seeing more every day as I get older. I'm like, where did that spot come from? That wrinkle when I look in the mirror. You ladies can do things with those wrinkles. You know, as guys, we can't. But when we see these spots and wrinkles in our lives, it can cause doubt. We can struggle. We can think, you know, I'm not good enough. I just can't be pure enough. I keep struggling with temptation and falling. I don't have the heart for the gospel like I should. Maybe I'm not saved. Friend, there is hope in what Paul says. He is not done with you or me yet. He is still working on us even when we fall. Folks, we can trust Christ will get us to our destination. We can trust that he will complete the work in us. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, Noah may have fallen in the ark, but he didn't fall out of the ark. Think about that. He may have fallen and tripped and stumbled in the ark, but he didn't fall out of the ark. Why? Because God protected him. And as Paul ended the prayer, notice it is all to the glory and praise of God. Think about that. You and me, when we trust Christ as our Savior, it's all for the glory and praise of God. So I ask you this morning, do you trust in him? I hope so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise. Thank you, that Lord, that you are the one who's called us, initiated that salvation, and changed our hearts. But Lord, we also recognize that sometimes we struggle and stumble and fall and feel like we haven't done enough. Lord, I pray that you would just give us that peace, that confidence, Lord, that you will lead us and you will guide us and direct us. And that there is nothing, Lord, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today, I pray that does not know you, you would open up their heart to the gospel, that they would believe the simple truth that you died for them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.